0: Greetings everyone.
1: It's January 20th, and this is the 1-year Bible Tour Guide podcast where each day we encourage each other with the worthy investment of a half hour together reading daily portions from the Old and New Testaments, the book of Psalms and Proverbs. Until by the end of the year, we will have completed reading the entirety of the Bible. That's all 66 books. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm happy to be repeating this Bible reading journey again this year. My hope is that I can serve as your tour guide, pointing out highlights, making observations that should not be missed, giving you context and motivation to continue to absorb the unifying themes of Scripture. We are reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Continuing with the story of Joseph as he is called upon to interpret the Egyptian pharaoh's dream, we are starting with verse 17, chapter 41, verse 17, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw my dream, seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine it is as I told Pharaoh God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt but after them there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, a priest of An, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said, There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Chapter 42 When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan, and behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let them bring your brother, while you remain confined." That your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of pharaoh surely you are spies and he put them all together in custody for three days so let's recap after two years of being forgotten in prison joseph is finally recommended to interpret pharaoh's terrifying and mystifying dream the cupbearer remembers how two years earlier joseph interpreted his dream and it was fulfilled with pinpoint accuracy. This reminds us of the importance of being faithful to use the gifts that God has given us when we have the opportunity while remaining patient. Proverbs 18.16 reminds us, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. But Joseph wasn't fighting for a big break, for promotions, greater power, greater influence, or an exalted position. He was not living for the recognition or applause of great men. He lived for the greater glory and honor of God. It seems that whenever he is given an opportunity, he makes a beeline to give God the glory. Notice Joseph's attitude of humility. When Pharaoh mentions that he has heard that Joseph has the ability to interpret a dream, once he hears it, Joseph responds saying, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. When Joseph hears Pharaoh's dream, Joseph begins the interpretation by saying, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. In Genesis 41, 25, and verse 28, Pharaoh recognizes not only that Joseph has a genuine gift for interpreting dreams that predicted what God was about to do, but that he had the wisdom to know what Pharaoh should do. In verse 34, Joseph proposes that a fifth of each year's crops be set aside during the predicted seven years of abundant harvest, in order that there be an abundant supply reserved for the predicted seven years of famine. When Joseph suggests that someone be appointed to administer the project, Pharaoh responds by saying to those assembled, Who could do it better than Joseph? For he is a man who is obviously filled with the Spirit of God. In Genesis 41.38 Wouldn't it be wonderful if that could be said about each one of us? May we be known for our exemplary heart attitudes. May we be known as those who think with God's thoughts. May we be known as those who make decisions with God's wisdom directing our wills. May we be known for our faithful stewardship of the gifts God has given us. May we be known as those who are obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Joseph was sold into slavery when he was 17, and now, at the age of 30, he is promoted to the highest position in Egypt, next only to Pharaoh himself. He has been maintaining his track record of being faithful and disciplined. He exercises wisdom and develops his skills daily, and he gives God the glory for his successes. Pharaoh gives Joseph the name Zaphanath paneah meaning the revealer of secrets. Then Joseph, like his ancestors Isaac and Jacob, receives his bride in a far country. This also prefigures the Messiah coming to us who live far from the throne of God in heaven and taking those who believe to be his bride, his church, and to reign with him as his eternal companion. During the seven years of plenty that follow his exaltation, Joseph becomes the father of two sons by Asenath, Their names reflect the deep inner victory that God gave Joseph during the 13 years of hardship in Egypt. Manasseh, the firstborn, meaning, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And the second child he named Ephraim, meaning, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Once again, Joseph was testifying and glorifying what God had done on his behalf. God was at work in Joseph's heart, causing him to gain perspective. Joseph did not forget his family or the evil deeds of his brothers, but he was able to let go of the pain and suffering that they had caused him. He was able to forgive. He knew that although his brothers meant it for evil, God was using it for the good. In Genesis 50, verse 20, We too can have victory over bad memories and past hurts by affirming the love of God shown to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. We must let the love of God in Christ become our frame of reference. Jesus provided God's righteous answer to the wrongs we committed and suffered. When we recognize God's mercy shown to us in the cross, we can let go of our role as vindicators. We can be thankful that God is at work and uses all of these situations for the good of His purposes in Romans 8:28 in Ephesians 4:31 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you or in Romans chapter 12 verse 19 never take your own revenge beloved but leave room for the wrath of god for it is written Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Joseph was able to focus on every kindness and mercy God had shown him. He has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Can you say that about the areas of hurt in your life? Ephraim means double fruitful. Yes, Joseph had two sons in Egypt, but he was also blessed with a life with God that flourished with abundance. The Hebrew root of Ephraim is afer, meaning a bandage or covering. God graciously and progressively brought healing to Joseph's wounds. What a great combination to have in our families. Forgetfulness and fruitfulness. Forgetting what is behind, forsaking the hurts of the past, we can rejoice in God's mercy in the present and know that we can press on towards the future with hope. God is in control. And he has a plan to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called by him. In Philippians 3.13 and Romans 8.28 During the time of famine in the Middle East, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt for help. Joseph demonstrates a heavenly wisdom in the way that he masterfully brings his brothers to repentance and a new family relationship of love and forgiveness. And now we'll read from the New Testament... The Gospel of Matthew chapter thirteen beginning with verse twenty four. If you recall, we are in the middle of Jesus' teaching through parables, and now he's going to be sharing the parable of the weeds Matthew thirteen twenty four. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, It is larger than all the garden plants, and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I WILL OPEN MY MOUTH IN PARABLES, I WILL UTTER WHAT HAS BEEN HIDDEN SINCE THE FOUNDATION OF THE WORLD. WHEN HE LEFT THE CROWDS AND WENT INTO THE HOUSE, AND HIS DISCIPLES CAME TO HIM, SAYING, EXPLAIN TO US THE PARABLE OF THE WEEDS OF THE FIELD, HE ANSWERED, THE ONE WHO SOWS THE GOOD SEED IS THE SON OF MAN, THE FIELD IS THE WORLD, AND THE GOOD SEED IS THE SONS OF THE KINGDOM, THE WEEDS ARE THE SONS OF THE EVIL ONE and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had And bought it. Just what are parables? Parables are earthly stories that illustrate and illuminate spiritual realities. They function as windows to the truth that Jesus taught. To some, the meaning of the illustration will be clear and let the light in. To others, the meaning will be obscured and keep the light out. Jesus describes his parables as having a twofold purpose fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. In Matthew 13, verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Quote. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. To some, the parables would reveal the truth about the divine operations of the kingdom of God. To others, they would conceal the truth. Jesus deliberately spoke in parables, so some people would get it, and some people would not get it. Those who were given understanding would put their trust in Jesus and come into the healed relationship with God that the Gospel offers. The Jewish people had their own ideas about the Kingdom. Those who looked for a Messiah who would deliver the people of Israel from their Roman oppressors were disappointed with Jesus. Jesus explained that the kingdom of God would not come with a political revolt. It would come through the word of God, bringing a new life through the Spirit to the hearer's heart. What Jesus made clear about the kingdom of God from the first parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils is that not everyone who hears the word gets saved. Only the hearer who humbly receives it, submits to it, and allows its life to be reproduced within them will manifest their Kingdom citizenship. Genuine trust in God's Word cannot be superficial. It cannot be abandoned in times of trial or choked by the deceitful distractions, idolatries, and cares of this life. The Kingdom of God is about the life and the rule of the King being reproduced in the hearts of its subjects. In the second parable, Jesus speaks of the wheat and the tares growing up together. Jesus sows the true wheat. Satan sows the tares. There will be true believers and false believers growing up together in the visible church. Only in the final day will the difference between the wheat and the tares become fully discernible. Jesus will separate the wheat from the chaff at the appointed time of judgment. The wheat will be gathered with Christ the tares will be cast into the fire. The point is that there will be mixture in the church during the season of growth. Each one should examine themselves to be sure that they are in Christ and that Christ is in them, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, and Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. The third parable, the mustard seed parable, shows the impact that the gospel will have in society during this age between christ's resurrection and his return christianity will provide shelter for many birds to nest in its branches in other words individuals and civilizations will benefit from the effects of the gospel they will find a haven in the core values heritage and institutions of christianity without being a part of the tree we are not to mistake people benefiting from the shade of the kingdom as being part of the kingdom itself. The fourth parable is the illustration of the woman who is working leaven into a lump of dough and baking bread. In this case, the leaven represents the rule of God in the kingdom that is buried in the dough of the world. The leaven penetrates and permeates every area of dough. So does the influence of Christ in the life of the believer. The fifth parable is the treasure hidden in the field. The treasure is the kingdom all that is offered to us in Christ a man stumbles upon the treasure perhaps by working in the field rather than stealing the treasure he hides it again and legally purchases the field that the treasure might be rightfully his he realizes that the treasure is worth all that he possesses he joyfully sells all that he has that he might buy the field and acquire the treasure some will stumble upon the gospel and will have the sense to esteem it as their greatest treasure, forsaking all to possess it. The extravagant investment seems foolish to the outside observer. They think that the man is paying too much. The man knows that he is getting what he could never deserve or earn. He is getting the greatest bargain. In the words of C.T. Studd, If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him." The sixth parable is the merchant who is seeking precious pearls. This man knows what he is looking for. When he discovers this pearl of supreme value, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the pearl. There is nothing that compares with the beauty of what is offered to us in Christ, the King of Kings. He is the pearl of great price. Some people will spend a great deal of time searching for the truth before they find it in Christ. But when they find it, they recognize that their search is over and they act accordingly. When they finally discern the value of the gospel, they will gladly exhaust themselves for his kingdom. The seventh parable in Matthew 13 is the dragnet cast into the sea that gathers fish of every kind. All those who have ever fished with a net know that you often have the bad hauled in with the good, and the catch needs to be sorted out. So it will be at the end of the age. Jesus interprets these parables that we might have an understanding of the times in which we live. What are the lessons? Now is the time to liberally sow the seed, the Word of God, throughout God's field, the world. We will continually face the opposition and counterfeiting works of the evil one. We are to persevere in loving the unlovely, disciplining the unruly, and being patient with all, because the Lord of the harvest knows what he is doing, and in his time he will sort out the true believers from the false. The day is not over. Keep on keeping on and leave the judgment to God. Let others come under the shade of the gospel's influence, but make the gospel clear so that those whom God has appointed to eternal life will be converted. In Acts 13, verse 48, Be generous in extending the good of the gospel. Some will stumble upon it, Like C.S. Lewis, their conversion will be a sudden event of being surprised by joy. That's the title of Lewis's autobiography, in which he shares his conversion. Others, like the Merchant Man, discover the gospel after a long, hard search. But in the end, it is God who opens their eyes to discern the gospel's worth. Be patient with all. Do your part, recognizing God will sort out the gospel catch in the end. Now, reading from the book of Psalms. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Psalm 18. To the choirmaster, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. FROM HIS TEMPLE HE HEARD MY VOICE, AND MY CRY TO HIM REACHED HIS EARS. THEN THE EARTH REELED AND ROCKED, THE FOUNDATIONS ALSO OF THE MOUNTAINS TREMBLED, AND QUAKED, BECAUSE HE WAS ANGRY. SMOKE WENT UP FROM HIS NOSTRILS, AND DEVOURING FIRE FROM HIS MOUTH. GLOWING COALS FLAMED FORTH FROM HIM. HE BOWED THE HEAVENS AND CAME DOWN. THICK DARKNESS WAS UNDER HIS FEET. HE rode ON A CHERUB AND FLEW. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, Hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Psalm 18 is a song of deliverance that is found also in 2 Samuel 22, verses 1-51, to with significant variations. The opening words mark the theme of gratitude. I love you, O Lord, my strength. He follows this clear declaration of love with a reflection on who God is as His strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, refuge, shield, horn, stronghold, and redeemer. Then he thanks the Lord for what He has done, saving Him from His enemies, delivering Him from fear and death itself, in verses 4 and 5. In verse 6, he testifies of answered prayer. Then he describes the Lord's power in judgment, in verses seven to fifteen. Who can stand in the day of judgment? Only those who are rescued in verses sixteen to nineteen. Who are rescued? Those who are rewarded through their righteousness. In the context of the revelation of Scripture, this must refer to the righteousness of Christ that is credited to those who believe God's gospel. Who else could state verses twenty to twenty four with integrity but Jesus Christ? This revelation unfolds more clearly as we study the rest of Psalm 18 in our future readings. And now from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, the first six verses. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. As we read those words, we can reflect upon our own relationship with the Word of God. Are we receiving its instruction? Are we holding fast His words? Do we esteem its power to give us understanding and to guard us from evil? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of our salvation. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins on the basis of Jesus fulfilling the righteous demands of your holy law on our behalf. Thank you for clothing us who believe with His righteousness. We esteem the gift of eternal life in Christ as our greatest treasure. Help us to spend our lives with abandonment, discerning the pearl of great price, the treasure in the field, the powerful leaven of His life. Like Joseph, help us to be faithful in the exercise of the particular gifts, talents, and opportunities that You give us, trusting in Your perfect timing and the wisdom of Your redemptive plan. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for joining us on the One Year Bible Reading Tour. We pray that it will be an encouragement to you. May we all do our part in combating biblical illiteracy in our culture. And we pray that the light of God's Word will shine into the hearts of men and women, boys and girls around the world. You can help us spread the Word by not forgetting to subscribe to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast wherever you get your podcasts and to like it. This way, when people are looking to get encouragement to press on in their Bible reading, they're more likely to find us and to get the benefit of a tour guide and some helpful commentary that will motivate them to press on in the journey. We want you to feel welcome to contact us with your comments, questions, prayer requests, and you can do so by sending an email to podcast at newlife.org. And we want to remind you that many benefit from getting a daily email with a written copy of the commentary of each day's Bible readings with illustrations, maps, and charts. And you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. So until next time, we hope you can join us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Shalom.